Can somebody turn the lights up just a little bit in the back so you guys can see your Bibles? Um, love Handles. It's just, guys, it's meant to be a fun series. Three weeks. I would give you four, but I don't know if we can handle four. So we're going to give three weeks, and it'll be fun. Hopefully, we'll give you some tools, give all of us some tools to sort of revitalize not just our, our romantic relationships, but relationships in general. The truth is, most of this content can be applied to any significant relationship uh, getting a grip on love and relationships. So we're going to dive in. And I have to say up front, um, uh, just a word to the ladies in the room. And that is, you have to understand something that you already know. And that is, you know, for a guy um, to to want to talk about relationships, they kind of see this topic as you or some ladies see, like, working on a car. And so I wrote this. Um, if it's not broke down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about it? <laughs> this is sort of like our guy's view of this topic, where ladies are like, hey, can we, can I just, uh, can I talk to you about something? Can we, can we, can we have a little bit of time to talk about our relationship, right? And what's going through our mind is like, what's to talk about, right? <laughs> We're not broke down on the side of the road, right? Like, why do we need to throw that hood up and get in there? Um, and so... That's just word for the wise, um, but hopefully by the end of this, we'll, we'll kind of cross that threshold and realize that there's a way where we can engage this conversation in a helpful way, non-frustrating way, non-intimidating way um, that really can be helpful. And the truth is that um, learning to live uh, in a healthy relationship is one of the, not only one of the, the, the best ways to glorify Jesus, but it is one of the most significant things that he invites us to step into on this planet, and that is to have healthy relationships. And so he's right there in the middle of it. He cares deeply about this stuff. And I pray and believe that Heart Church could be a, a beacon where we just have thriving relationships, thriving marriages, and you can get there, we can get there. So that being said, I want to dive into Ephesians chapter 5. It really... It's going to set the, the, the pace a little bit um, for where we're, we're headed. And so I'm just going to read it. It says, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self. Now, I want you to stay on this slide for a little bit. So realize that earlier in Ephesians, like Ephesians chapter uh, 5, I think, think verse 10, it talks about loving your wife as Christ loved the church, right? So there's this like huge mandate on husbands and all the wives are like oh sounds dreamy right but but we're just going to stick with this one as his very own self always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness and so all the ladies are like yes this is going to be such a good series next one and the wife or the gal must see to it that she respects her husband that she notices him, prefers him, and treats him with honor. And all the guys are like, whoa, yeah, baby. Now we're talking. So, so here, here's, here's the truth. And you can go back to the um, regular um, love handle slide. So, so here's the reality. And that is that, that it's not complicated. And yet it's crazy complicated. I mean, at the end of the day, um, women are wired, wired for love and men are wired for respect. Now, it's all love, but how it plays out is different in a man and a woman. There's actually a book out there called Love and Respect, which 
Um, I highly recommend. It's, it's incredible. Lots of good, really good tools. And it really outlines this principle that most of the dynamics in a marriage can be tied together at some level to those two things. The woman's not feeling loved and the man's not feeling respected. And I wish that we could just end there and I could say, isn't that great news? It's simple, right? Just let's go do that. But I want to talk to you about the yeah, but. Because in my experience, in, um, in, in navigating relationships, including my own, there's always a yeah, but. Husbands, you need to love your wives as, as Christ loved the church, as you love yourself. Yeah, but let me tell you about my wife, or let me tell you about my girlfriend, right? Or let me tell you about, and why I can't do that to that standard. Because there's reasons, and I can quantify those reasons, and I can write them down for you. I rehearse them all the time in my mind. <laughs> and then on the flip side, wives, respect your husbands, honor them, prefer them. Yeah, but you don't know my husband, my boyfriend, my fiance like I do. And so, yeah, let me tell you why I can't do that. I want to, trust me. And when he does X, Y, and Z, I totally will. But that's not today. So this message is in response to the yeah, but. Ready? Today, I um, hope to highlight the tension that exists in every relationship and hopefully give you some handles love handles, to talk about some things that maybe you feel, you definitely feel, um, but don't necessarily have language to. So I want to highlight, first of all, this lovely box and, and talk about the fact, and I've, and I've shared this before uh, a number of years ago, but I want to sh- highlight the fact that, that most of us, well, every, every one of us, when, when we're headed into a significant relationship, we start with, with a box. And this box is our hopes, dreams, and desires. These are the things inside this box that we care about, that matter to us. And so I put some, some things in here um, that are reflective of that. Like, you know, for instance, kids. You know, um, you had an idea of what, what that was going to look like. We're not going to have any kids, right? Or, or we're, we're going to have two boys. Or and we're going to have just one child. And this is how we're going to raise those kids. This is gonna, how we're going to discipline. This is what I had when I was growing up. And it was awesome. And I want to do that. Or this is what I had growing up or didn't have. And it was horrible. So I want to change that narrative. And so we're going to go in and go in with that. Um, you have some expectations about who's going to do the cleaning around your house. Who's, um, how, how clean, cleanly the house is going to be. Some people, they're really okay with clutter. Other people are like, really can't stand clutter. And uh, there might be some, some dynamics in a, in a marriage or relationship uh, on that one. Um, here's a good one. My personal favorite. If you've, if you've never had these, they're amazing. Um, how are we going to eat? Right? What kind of junk food are we going to have? Man, babe, I thought you were going to be healthy. Honey, I thought you were going to be healthy. I thought we were going to go to the gym. Man, I thought we were just going to go for it, right? Like, we only live once, right? Uh, there's expectations and, and, and desires there. Uh, recreation. How we're going to recreate. You know, babe, I thought you were going to go walking or hiking with me. Or, Honey, I thought you were going to really get into golf. What happened, right? Uh, there, there's all kinds of, of desires 
about how we're going to live our life, about vacationing together and doing different things and going into a relationship, you have all these things. How about this one? How we're going to navigate conflict, right? When I grew up, my parents never argued, right? But they also never said anything to one another. (laughs) We never argue. When I was growing up, man, my parents always just said everything was on their chest and they just duked it out and then it worked out fine, right? Or at least you think it did. Everybody has an idea of what, what this one looks like. Conflict. I mean, not that anybody ever argues about money, but in case you do or you know somebody that does, going into the relationship, you had some hopes, dreams, and desires about money about how you're going to manage it, about how you're going to spend it, about how much you're going to have, about the kind of lifestyle that you're going to have. Everyone's like, this is going to be brutal. Um, How about uh, my personal favorite, time. Anybody ever had any uh, fun discussions about how we manage our time? About whether or not we're on time? About how much it matters to you? There's some desires, hopes, dreams, and desires on that one. Oh, this is another one of my favorites. Um, how about how we're going to dress when we go to bed, right? I mean, this is a beauty. Pick this one up at Walmart. Hello. It looks good on you. You know, we've got, we've got some hopes, dreams, and desires about how our, our romance was going to play out in the evenings, right? And how many headaches we were going to have or tummy aches or... Stress level. Um, this is going to be so fun. Uh, how, about, how about your calendar? How about navigating your, your, your life? How about where are you going to spend your vacations? How about, you know, how your, 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 anybody ever have any discussions when you get to look at the calendar and kind of go, um, well, how are we going to spend this life? How are we going to spend our vacation? What are we going to do with our vacation? What are we going to do about our in-lives? And what are we going to do for Thanksgiving or for Easter? How are we going to share it all? Like, this is a big deal. And you and me had hopes, dreams, and desires going into this thing about what this stuff was going to look like. And you add to this things like character and how we're going to treat one another. And there's, there's all kinds of things that go into this box. And at some point in the, in, in the relationship, whether you're standing there um, doing your vows or, um, or even before you get married, at some point you come and you hand this box to your significant other. And you say, as a gift to you, I give to you my desires, my hopes. This is how this is going to work out. This is what I envisioned. And and this is what the future looks like for us. Isn't this going to be awesome? Right? And that's where I'm going to crush it. And that's what you think and you feel going into the relationship. And as long as my significant other does these things the way that I want them to, then I am going to love the heck out of them. I'm going to respect the heck out of them. It's going to be easy to do that because they are fulfilling all of my hopes, dreams, and desires as they should because I've given them. I've entrusted them to this person. I've trusted them with my desires. Anybody with me? The challenge is that when you hand somebody your hopes, dreams, and desires, um, to them, it doesn't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires. To them, 
feels like expectations. Oh, the narrative has shifted on me. That's not a fun word. I want to go back to the hopes, dreams, and desires. But unfortunately, expectations is where we land. Expectations is the strong belief. Strong belief. Emphasize strong belief. That something will happen or will be the case in the future. So even if your significant other isn't fulfilling these things now, don't fool yourself because I have a strong belief that it will be this case in the future, which is why sometimes there's a honeymoon stage. And sometimes that honeymoon stage lasts for longer than the honeymoon because you still have the strong belief. So it can be an expectation even if it's not being realized in an argument because inside, deep inside, you still have the expectation that I gave them this box. And so they're going to come through for me. They just haven't done it yet, but they will. And so I have an expectation and I have a strong belief that will come to pass. So what was beautiful and romantic and dreamy suddenly becomes a burden. Because an expectation is a burden. So now luckily when I got married to Heather, um, we always saw eye to eye on everything. I mean, time management, we're basically the same person. And, and, and our in-laws, I mean, we always see eye to eye on where to put stuff and money. I'll tell you what, I mean, we're independently wealthy, so it's really irrelevant. And we never get in arguments, and she always dresses sexy, and we always want to hang out and play stuff together. And our house never gets dirty, so it's irrelevant, you know what I mean? So, like, I can't really relate with you guys. Heather and I could not be more different. In fact, if you ever take the Myers-Briggs test, there's their letters, there's four letters. So if you look at the four letters, I am a set of four letters, ENFJ, and she's the other set of the four letters. We don't even have any common letters in the, in the personality test. And in the, um, we've talked about this before uh, in terms of the, the, um, the, the, the gifts, spiritual gifts test. Um, not the Holy Spirit gifts test, but the, 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 the gifts test in terms of who God creates you to be. They're called motivational gifts, and there's seven of them in the Bible. And, and, and it's how you're wired, what motivates you. And so there's seven of them. So I have three of them, and Heather has the other four. So at every level, Heather and I are completely different. And so for the first half of our marriage, we collided because we had expectations big time. And we held it together with duct tape and glue and spiritual, you know, punching bags and, you know, just all this stuff. And then we crashed and burned almost seven years ago. And we were just moments away from losing our marriage. And there was like practical reasons for that. But the bigger picture was we were colliding because she had given me her box and I had given me given her my box. And, and it's not even just the practical things, but it's like, at the end of the day, I was excited about marrying me. And I think if we're honest, we all are. I wanted a female version of me. Why? Because the way I do things are right. Right? I mean, come on. 
And, and I realized, you know, at some point in our marriage that Heather's not me and trying to make her me is really hard. It's like an uphill battle. And then I suddenly realized she'll never be me. And then I realized, God help us if God ever made us her like me. I need her to be her. And so we had to rethink this whole thing. So let me tell you about a tension that takes place. And understand that I'm going to give you a lot of information. If you ever want my notes or you want the slideshow, I can give it to you. You can take pictures of stuff. But I'm kind of driving down to a central idea. And so hopefully you're going to walk away with like a big picture idea and then some practical things. So don't feel like you got to like take in everything. But I want to talk to you about four things that take place when there's this collide that I've described. And you guys have experienced at least one of these things. So attention that, that, um, that causes us to do one of four things. The first thing it causes us to do is we leave. That's why the divorce rate is over 50%, even in Christian couples, because you just leave. And, um, and you leave for a lot of different reasons, but most of the time it's because I handed somebody my box, they handed me my box, and it's like, our boxes are not compatible. And so logic would say, if, if enough things in here aren't compatible, then we aren't compatible. And so I need to leave. Now, I want to pause, and I do this every time I talk about relationships, and I want to say that this talk, this teaching, is not for abusive relationships. I don't believe that anyone in here is in an abusive relationship. I'm not talking about a, a, a marriage that argues. We all argue. Newsflash. You're not the only one. But, but if you're in an abusive relationship, right, where you physically or emotionally feel unsafe, you need to get help. And, 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 and talking with myself and Heather could be a starting point. I'm not a counselor and, and, and I'm not going to be able to give you the help that you would need, but I, you can start with me and we can help, you know, but, but don't, this is not a copy and paste on top of any situation, okay? Because there are situations where it's just like, I don't feel safe so don't just, you know, don't just apply this and think you're good because there are situations where you really need. And that's both male and female, right? I mean, unfortunately, men typically are, are viewed in that way um, when it comes to this topic. But, but, you know, women, unfortunately, can be abusive too. So I want to say that. And now we move on. The second thing that can happen is we win. So we either we leave or we go, you know what? I'm just going to win. And so this is four keys to a, a terrible marriage. If you want to write these things down and, and go that direction, I don't recommend it. But, um, but we, we convince, we, we uh, convince, we convict, we control, and we coerce. So this is what that looks like. I realize that this is how you think things should be, but you're wrong. I know that uh, you have hopes, dreams, and, and, uh, and desires, but you have the wrong box. You just need to trust me and do things the right way. Which is my box, by the way. After all, it's what Jesus would do. And sometimes... If you're a really good, astute Christian, you can actually find biblical premise for the way that your box is better than theirs. It's unfortunate, but it happens all the time. I have biblical reasons why we should do the things my way, right? 
You guys are like, this is not getting better. Um, number three, um, we conform, right? Um, we become someone we're not, right? Um, to compensate for someone who won't accept us for who we are. No one deals with that, but you know, you know somebody who does, so pass this along. And this works for a while because the tension goes away. Because when someone hands you your box and you go, this is totally not me, but I'll carry it for a little while. Because I, I don't want him to leave me. I don't want her to leave me. I don't want tension. So I'll do that for a little while. And then lastly, we compromise. Now, this one's probably the most dangerous because it sounds really sexy. And you could even kind of biblically work this one in. But um, for many people, they think this is the goal. In compromising relationship, I'm going to do my part and you do your part. I will if you will. And everyone's keeping score. So trust begins to erode. And as trust erodes, so does intimacy. Because intimacy is tied to trust. This style of relationship is fueled by a commitment to the wrong thing. It's fueled by a commitment to the relationship. I want you to hear this. I've heard this so many times. I'm committed to my marriage. I'm committed to the relationship. And so I'm committed to compromise. I'm committed to do something if she'll do something. And we're, 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 we're trading tit for tot because I'm committed to my marriage. And I just want to say that, like, I believe in the institution of marriage wholeheartedly. I believe God's in it. I don't believe God's in divorce at all. I don't believe anyone should get a divorce. But I want to tell you that I don't want to be committed to my marriage. I want to be committed to Heather. She has a name. It's not an institution I'm committed to. It is a person. And I want her to feel like I love her, not the marriage, not the agreement that we have. There is a better way. I want to fight for Heather. This is a little nugget. Guys, women want to see blood on your sword. Fighting for them. And everyone knows what that looks like. Because for a wife, blood looks different. Right. Sometimes it's like, hey, babe, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to I'm going to not go do something I want to do because I'm going to stay home and help you clean the house. Right. That would be an example of like blood on your sword. But but women love to see the man fight for them. But I want to fight for Heather when I'm doing that. I'm not fighting for the marriage, although I'm committed to my marriage wholeheartedly. But it's because I'm committed to Heather. Because I love Heather. And at the end of the day, I want her to know that. And she doesn't always. Listen, Heather and I do not have a perfect marriage. But our marriage is thriving. Because we've learned some of these things. And are learning some of these things. And are putting these things into practice. And what I'm telling you has transformed our marriage to a thriving marriage. Now listen, I've never sat up here and talked on being a parent because I haven't figured that out, that one out yet. And whatever I think I've figured out hasn't been proven yet. So I'm waiting on that one. But on my marriage, we're going to about to celebrate 18 years. And we have figured a few things out. And this right here is a big deal. And I know that many of you could say the same thing. Listen, I realize there's a lot of great marriages here. So I want to talk about 
three principles. One is this. Expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. Expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. Whenever I put my hopes, dreams, and desires on you and expect you to come through for me, then I live under the assumption you owe me. You owe me. You owe me fun because I've handed you the racket. We're going to have fun together. These are my expectations. You owe me really good conflict resolution, whatever that looks like to you. You owe me the way that we manage our money, which means I don't, I don't have to have a budget because that's my, my, my view of managing money is there's no budget. We can do whatever we want, right? Because it's like you only live once. So you owe me that. Okay. Um, you owe me eating healthy. You owe me dressing really sexy. You owe me the way that we manage our time because the way I do it is the right way. You owe me the when we look at the calendar. All these things are my expectations. And when it stays in the expectation box, then it is a debt-debtor relationship where you owe me. After all, my expectations on you are fair. They're probably better than yours. Because it's my box. And I know how to do things. Question. How much gratitude do you express to somebody when they're simply doing their job? Like when somebody goes above and beyond, you're like, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. But when somebody is doing the bare minimum and sometimes not even doing that, then gratitude is one of the first things that goes. How do you supercharge your, your marriage? Gratitude is a huge part of it. And it never happens when you're in a debt-debtor relationship where you're owed something and somebody's barely meeting the expectation. We rarely express gratitude for what we have come to express. Gratitude is an indication that I have not filled up a box of expectations. Wow, babe. Thank you so much for cleaning the kitchen. Not that it's Heather's job, but like when she does, babe, thank you so much. I used to never say that. Because for a long time, she didn't have a job because she stayed at home and watched the kids, which is a way harder job than I've ever had. And it's full time and you don't have any time. But it's like, hey, you're here all day. Of course you're going to clean the kitchen. And like, that sounds so awful coming out of my mouth, but it's true. Now, again, I don't always do this, but I really make an intention to. Like, babe, thank you so much for cleaning the kitchen. I, I, I noticed it and I really appreciate it because clutter frustrates me. Like, seriously, if I dumped all these things out on the, the, um, the stage, I literally would have to pick them all up before I could move forward because it gives me anxiety. And it's been one of the things that's been a major clash in our relationship because Heather thrives on clutter. She loves clutter. Her and Haley, I mean, Caleb and I are two peas in a pod. Caleb's room is like completely organized all the time. And Haley's is a tornado even the day after she cleans it. Just a tornado. And, and, and it's like it fuels them, right? And that's just who Heather is. And it makes it, her beautiful because she can focus on other things. And I'm like, I can't focus on other things, right? And, and I've had to learn how to value her for, for her. 
But, but it caused me to never appreciate because it's like, babe, you're just holding up the state, like barely holding up the standard. And it is so defeating and deflating for a relationship. Gratitude's huge. The other thing that a debt debtor relationship does is um, it, it competes with unconditional love. A debt debtor relationship competes with unconditional love. If you owe me, then you can't love me. If you owe me flowers, right? Like Valentine's Day, for instance, Heather's like, don't bring me flowers. Like I would rather not you not spend the money because it doesn't mean anything because I know you're bringing them because it's Valentine's Day, which isn't all that sexy and it doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy because it's Valentine's Day and I know you picked these up on the way home from, right? So it's like, it would mean so much more if it's not Valentine's Day and you bring me flowers. Why? Because it's not your job to bring flowers home on a non-Valentine's day, right? It's like the pastor saying hi to somebody when they walk in. I get it, right? Most of the time it's viewed as like, it's my job. Of course, the pastor said hi, but when somebody else says hi and it's not their job, it's like, wow, this community is really friendly. It's the same idea, right? When, when, when something is not expected and then given, it's like, oh my gosh, she loves me. He loves me. So, so when these are expected, this is the behavior that I have come to expect because you owe me these things because I gave you my box and you said, I do. Yes, I'm in. And so when you're just doing this stuff, it's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to do those things. Love does not do well in an environment of expectation. It is almost impossible to recognize when it's present. A box full of, uh, of expectations undermines intimacy because it feels like pressure every single day. Anybody relate with pressure? Feels like pressure. Feels like I'm carrying around a box and I can never win. You guys are not relating with me at all. I understand it's just me up here, but it's pressure because I've got to do these things. And half of them I kind of want to do, but they're just hard and I don't have the energy. And the other half I don't even agree with, but I know what will happen if I don't do them. So doing them is worse than the storm that's going to come. So it's just like, I'm just going to, and we get into this rhythm where we're just carrying the box around. And then we go, there's no intimacy in our marriage. I don't feel close to you. We're carrying a box around. Of course there's not intimacy, right? Next week's four tips on how to have a good sex life. No, I'm just kidding. So what should we do with the box? I mean, what's the answer, right? Like, so I guess these things are not important. I mean, who cares about exercise, right? I mean, no one, no one, no one worries about that. And I mean, the calendar, it'll, it'll solve itself, right? It's no big deal. And I mean, money, we have love. Who needs money, right? Um, and, and time, I mean, you know, it's all good. And then, uh, you know, conflict, we'll just, we'll just, I mean, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Kids, they'll just, they'll figure themselves out and then the house will get cleaned and, you know, it's like, 
who doesn't need some comfort food? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, babe, love you for who you are. And so I guess we're just going to go with that. Okay. And so uh, at the end of the day, we just go, you know what? I guess it's better to not have any expectations, to surrender on the things that are important to me. It's a lot lighter. And we're just going to make do. We're just going to survive. And this is not fun. It's not amazing. It's not exhilarating. But at least it's empty. And so, and so this is kind of what we, what we do. But I want to show you another way. And it's by answering a simple question. And it'll be up on the screen. What do they, my spouse, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my fiance, what do they owe me? How you answer this question will determine the quality of your relationships. And this is the part that I would say is deeply connected with all relationships that are significant in your life. What do they owe me? Unfortunately, this answer has been hijacked in our world today. And it's been hijacked by the me-centric lifestyle. And I want to pause and say that I've been doing this long enough to know enough people that have had some really bad marriage advice. And I want to encourage you. Stop getting bad marriage advice. And here's a, here's a key. Don't get marriage advice from people who don't have a healthy marriage. I mean, what other area in life would we do that? If, if, if you're not talking with somebody who currently has a really healthy biblical marriage, why would you take advice from them at any level regarding a relationship? And it happens all the time. Answering this question, go back, what do they owe me? Well, of course they owe you. You married them. You gave yourself to them. You gave them the ring. You gave them everything. And so the least they could do is complete and fill out this box. I mean, come on. It's not rocket science. This is the advice out there. You deserve these things. That's what love is. supposed to love you. She's supposed to love you. So you, these are important. I want to draw a really clear delineation between Christ-centered marriages and relationships and the relationships of the world. Because there is, this is probably the area that there is the biggest gap of all things we do. It's not our behavior, right? It's not our standards, although we have higher standards, but I know lots of people, you know, non-Christians that have good standards. It's, it's how we treat people that sets us apart. And Jesus said it. He said that, that, that when you see them, the church, loving one another in a Christ-like way, you will realize the church has showed up. You will know they're my disciples by their love for one another. 
you will see it. It will be present. And so when you see that, I'm there. My kingdom is there. Why? Because there's such a gap. That's why when you, you, you get marriage advice from people who don't understand kingdom principles, it's like apples and oranges. It has nothing to do with what we're doing here. And they're going to always answer that question, what do they owe me, differently than how Jesus would answer that question. We take our cues from Jesus, and Jesus says things like this. This is my commandment. Love one another. And, and the disciples would be like, well, yeah, that's not new. Love each other. That, that's not a new concept. And then he said, in the same way I've loved you. And they're like, oh, crap. That's, that's different. <laughs> I haven't exactly stepped into that one yet. Christ-centered relationships believe we owe each other everything and are owed nothing in return. We owe each other everything. Because I did say I do. Good, bad, ugly. We're one. I'm in. 100%. So, so we owe each other everything. But I am owed I am owed nothing in return. This is ridiculous, Shane. I mean, we started out the conversation by saying, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives respect your husband, care for them, honor them, revere them. Like, shouldn't, isn't that a fair expectation? right? Going into the marriage, wives, honey, just love me like Jesus and we're good. Babe, just, just honor and respect me as like the head, like, like, like Christ is head of the church. Yeah, that's like me and my, in our, in our house. So just honor me like that and we're all good. So, so isn't that a fair expectation? And I just want to say this, like, just because it's a biblical imperative doesn't mean that you, as the individual, get to demand it. Just because it's biblical doesn't mean that you, on the other end of that, get to say, you must. Why? Because Jesus didn't do that. And he doesn't do that. Dang it. Remember that? Love others as I love you. So let me get this last idea. Patience teaches us to surrender our expectations to God. What do we do? What do we do with all these expectations? I have so many expectations. Why? Because they're deeply rooted in my hopes, dreams, and desires. And I want these things. A lot of these things are good things. I mean, little, she's so cute and she's awesome. And it's like, maybe that, I don't know. This is good stuff. And I want this stuff. I want this for our marriage. I believe that a lot of this will make us better. We surrender our expectations to God. We say, you know what, God? I believe that this marriage, this relationship is from you. I believe you're right in the middle of it. And I believe that you have given me desires 
Now, some of these are fleshly desires and maybe got godly, but a lot of them are probably straight from heaven and, and will actually make your relationship better. And the Bible says, seek first the and everything else will be added to you. And what that means is seek first the kingdom way. And I can tell you that there is no expectation-filled relationships in the kingdom. It's not. It's not the kingdom way. It's not how Jesus does things. Let me ask you this. What's one of the clearest, most obvious characteristics of your relationship with God? He is what to you? He is what to you? Give me a different word besides love because that's just obvious and this is a descriptor of love. He is what to you? He is patient with you. God is patient with you. Has been, will continue to be. If he wasn't patient with you, you would be dead. So I'd say that's a pretty important one. So when did we stop applying this principle to our relationships? If it's literally the thing that keeps us alive in our relationship with God, he starts with patience and he ends with patience. And in our relationships, somehow we've lost sight of the power of patience. At some point in our relationship, God told me, you have bought into the lie that patience doesn't work. Because I just get all worked up and I'm just like, no, I can't be patient anymore because it's not working. I'm not seeing a result. My expectations are not being met. And that's where God says, patience teaches us to surrender our expectations to God. God-centered expectations, God-surrendered expectations makes room for the unconditional love to be present and love changes people. I'm gonna leave you with this and we'll pick up again next week. When we learn to keep our expectations, our hopes, dreams, and desires in the box and we don't give it to our spouse, we keep it. Because after all, this is my box and it's your box. This is not Heather's box. She has her own box. And I would prefer her to not give me her, not give me her box because that's a bummer. I, I've lived that. You've lived that. So I'm going to keep my box and I'm not going to discard most of this stuff because this stuff matters to me. I'm going to give my box to God. God, you know what's important to me. And more importantly than that, you know what's actually going to help our relationship. Some of these things might. Some of these things are not going to. So God, I'm going to give my box to you. And then I'm going to believe that love will change us. Acceptance. When was the last time you took all of your frustrations about your spouse, the expectations that are not being met, right? And you said, Lord, I'm going to give those things to you. 
And I'm going to choose to see the best in my spouse and love the heck out of them. I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose to be patient when they're not perfect because I'm not perfect. And God loves me today in my imperfection. The bad advice out there in marriage is you should ream your husband or ream their, your wife when they're not meeting your expectations and when they're being bad. And what I'm saying is the kingdom is completely opposite. I mean, again, this is not applied to like abusive situations. But listen, if they're not meeting your expectations and you've already communicated the hopes, dreams, and desires you have, take a step back and go, honey, I love you. I love you. I accept you just the way you are. And you know what? Just the way you are, by the way, you're not a disappointment. Just the way you are, you're beautiful. You're amazing. And I am able to see past my expectations to your beauty. Because I love you. I don't love what you do for me. I don't love the way you come through for me. I love you as a person. And you as a person are beautiful. And the moment that I think that the version of you I can make of you is more and better and more beautiful than the version that God can make of you, I have stepped way out of my lane. And that is not what produces a healthy relationship. And I promise you, when you do this with your spouse, it will make them the best version of themselves. It may not make them the version that will meet every one of your things, but I promise you it will make them the best version of who God created them to be. And if you can't see that, then that's on you. That's all I got. Father God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this beautiful work that you're doing in our life. It's simple. Give us new eyes to see. Lord, I pray that where there has been disappointment from unmet expectations, when there's been frustration, God, I pray where there's been carrying a burden of failure from expectations, and maybe even some resentment has built up. Father God, I just ask by your Holy Spirit that you would go in like only you can and that you would soften that ground in our hearts, that you would give us a new eyes, heavenly kingdom eyes to see our spouse with love and care and acceptance. And Jesus, out of that, you would make something beautiful. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I bless you.